There was breaking news out of Rome over the weekend. Many people in the week before Christmas looking forward to their traditional Christmas celebrations, the most traditional, of course, being those who attend the traditional Latin Mass, which has, for not only centuries, but for over a millennia in the Catholic Church, been the way to do things. Yes, there was some suppression back in the 60s, but since about 600, Catholics have had this Mass, and arguably since the beginning of the time with the Apostles, they had the Roman Canon and always in that language that was with the church that's still considered the official language of the church Latin. And yet, out of Rome came over the weekend, the week before Christmas, once all these celebrations are already prepared for, news that there's going to be a crackdown on the traditional Latin Mass. Some of the most insane things you can imagine, like a priest is not allowed to advertise a traditional Latin Mass in the parish bulletin. Like, a priest who has already said his Sunday Mass cannot celebrate a traditional Latin Mass, which basically excludes the Latin Mass from almost all rural communities where one priest is offering the Novus Ordo, the new Mass, if you will, in English or whatever language, and then the traditional Latin Mass for those who want that. That permission, by the way, given by Pope Benedict himself, expressly asking the faithful, if they're interested in the traditional Mass, to apply for it, and that the Church should give generous allowance for it. And yet that all seems to be crashing down upon us right now. You know, the Church, especially today, is so concerned about sacred traditions of indigenous peoples and saying sorry for having trampled upon those. We're, we're doing Pachamama in the Vatican itself. It's all about sacred tradition. And yet here is the Pope himself hacking away at the roots of the Catholic Church. It is unbelievable. We have with us today Christopher Ferrara, a lawyer and one of the successful lawyers who challenged the COVID lockdown anti-mass forbiddance uh, in various states. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Chris Farrar, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, John Henry. Not a good time to be uh, to be talking uh, about developments in the church. It's a very sad time, but an utterly predictable, given the trajectory of this pontificate. It is indeed. Well, let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Chris, you are a lawyer. You're also someone who attends a traditional Latin Mass. You are... Uh, you know, someone who's been devoted to fighting for the rights of Catholics to have freedom of worship. And yet here we are, week before Christmas, uh, you are confronted with this. If you can unpack this latest communication from Rome for us. Well, it comes in the form of answers to dubia. Father Z and others have noted that this is obviously a charade. The, the, these dubia were, were a put-up job. So, for example, uh, who would seriously ask the question, can a priest binate if he celebrates a traditional mass? Uh, in other words, if he offers the Novus Ordo on, on a particular day, can he then offer the traditional mass? Nobody asked that question of Rome. The other question, can a, can a priest who has permission to celebrate the traditional mass uh, have that permission to extend outside of the diocese in which it was granted? 
Nobody asked that question. Under the 1984 indults, if you had an indult, you had an indult. You could celebrate the traditional mass wherever you happen to be as a priest in the world. These are additional restrictions that go beyond traditionis custodis, presented in the form of these phony dubia uh, that Father Z and others have rightly ridiculed as, uh, again, a, a put-up job, so that they could introduce new restrictions, pretending that they're merely interpreting traditionis custodis. No, these are new restrictions. And what's happening, I think, is that Francis is seeing that the bishops are finding ways around his arbitrary commands by, for example, dispensing from universal law, assuming this is, qualifies as universal law, in that particular diocese, or just ignoring it and letting things go on as before. This pope clearly intends, as these dubia should make clear to anybody now, to eradicate the traditional Latin liturgy in the church. In his mind, it's just a matter of time before he suffocates the traditional mass movement, which is a movement of young people. And this dismays him and infuriates him. Just a matter of time before he suffocates it, he thinks he can make it go away, but he can't. It's impossible for a pope to abrogate a received and approved rite of mass in the church that goes back to the time of St. Gregory the Great, who died in 604, and the canon, as you noted, arguably goes all the way back to the apostles. He has no power to do that. Cardinal Ratzinger said it would be alien to the spirit of the church to abolish the traditional liturgy. And as Pope Saint, uh, Pope Benedict said, that a pope is not an absolute monarch whose thoughts and desires are law. Well, apparently we have a pontiff right now who thinks that his thoughts and desires are law. And that's what these dubia are all about. And uh, I would say that uh, with St. Augustine, an unjust law is no law at all. And it doesn't matter whether it comes from a pope. We're not nominalists. We Catholics don't say... If authority has spoken, that is good and must be obeyed merely because authority has spoken. The Pope is the supreme ruler of the church, but there is no absolute ruler anywhere in the face of the earth. There is no absolute dictator. This is very interesting. We came from a tradition, if you will, I mean, people of our age, let's say, most raised under John Paul II. Uh, we came through Benedict, uh, and he was always there anyway. There was kind of a happy medium. You wanted a Mass, uh, for most of us not having experienced the traditional Latin Mass, but everybody knew they wanted a Mass that was not the crazy clown masses of what happened right after the council when they were doing experimentation with, you know, dancing and insanity and puppets and God knows what else. By the way, which, of course, uh, Cardinal Bergoglio, before he was Pope Francis, had participated in that kind of a clown mass. But that's the stuff from the 70s. Everybody can already see that was a bit really weird. People dancing and clapping and bringing up all sorts of things and maybe smoking something odd in the in the aisles and stuff that's not incense it's some kind of weird other smoke there was enough i mean people got that okay let's just have a normal uh what you would call i guess a traditional novus ordo or whatever and that was sort of the way forward and people had the traditional latin mass already and then came benedict with a more generous acceptance of that all wonderful and good and there was sort of like a go along and get along kind of respect for one another you have charismatic catholics i just saw a, a post a video by father mark goring no traditional priest at all he's a charismatic priest but he has great love for his brothers and sisters who love tradition. So he puts out this video where he basically says some reasons why he is supporting in love those 
traditional Catholics that he knows well and saying why this new move is a bad idea. So there is that. There is that goodwill among Catholics of these different traditions. You might call them, almost, it's almost like different rites. It's, but anyway, it's, it's these different traditions that celebrate the Mass, all loving Jesus, but in these different ways. But that's all breaking down now. You see with Pope Francis, it's like one of those priests or folks from that turn of time when they went against the traditional Mass and introduced the new Mass, who liked the puppet Mass, liked the kind of dancing in sheer outfits, liked the kind of like, maybe let's celebrate Mass with as many women as possible on the altar and perhaps can celebrate with a woman or a deaconess maybe that looks like it could be a celebration. But we all thought that was, you know, oh no, that's not really what we're supposed to, but that seems to be the flavor here. Um, tell us what, what you make of this. Well, I think we're dealing with someone who is nothing less than a modernist in mentality. He himself said at the opening to his rather ludicrous synod on synodality that we don't need to create a new church, but a different church. So we have a pope who thinks he can create a different church. He literally believes that. This is the mind of a revolutionary. And the reason that the charismatics are sympathetic and other people are sympathetic, even cultural uh, commentators, one of them a French atheist intellectual whose name escapes me, are sympathetic is because they see a brutal abuse of power and the destruction of part of the cultural patrimony of the Western world, the foundation of our entire civilization, the liturgical civilization that was Christendom for more than a thousand years. Christopher Dawson put it most succinctly when he said, for a millennium, Christianity was the law of the land, and the basis for that society, that civilization, was the liturgy. Uh, John Milbank, an Anglican scholar, has said, only a liturgical civilization can save us now from literal violence. Well, he is an enemy of that liturgical civilization. He talks about flexibility and condemns rigidity, but he is the most rigid pope I have seen in my lifetime. He is authoritarian and dictatorial. And the reason we have sympathy from outside traditionalist circles is people know a brutal abuse of power, a gratuitous imposition on the rights of people when they see one. And they're outraged by it, and they should be. Pope Francis has really been a revolutionary in many, many ways. Um, for us who operate in the moral realm, you know, life site, we pay attention to life and family, especially the very alarming things with the sort of nod and appreciation of cohabitation, which he said, and I quote, is real marriage and has the grace of real marriage. For when he basically said, in grave circumstances, you can allow for contraception if, if Zika virus is in question. He said, and repeatedly over and over again, about how same-sex civil marriage uh, is okay. And people didn't believe it at first, but after it's repeated three, four, five times, both in planes and then on a, tele, a movie interview, um, sorry, it, it, it gets out there. So there's all these these things, these, you know, promotion of Father James Martin, now of New Ways Ministries, and the Vatican sort of following in lockstep. Do you see a relationship between that and what's going on with the Latin Mass right now? Well, of course, we have a Pope who is, as you say, a revolutionary. And what's remarkable is we've had revolutionary developments in the Church for 50 years, but this Pope has taken it uh, to a quantum level. A quantum leap has happened. Now he, we see an attack even on the fundamental precepts of the natural law. Not too long ago, I think it was back in August, 
He said during the uh, opening address to his, uh, not, not the opening address, so no, but in another address, was it, it was an airborne press conference. He said, he, he said, uh, do I scorn the commandments? No, I, I don't scorn the commandments. I follow them, but not as absolutes, because I know that it is Christ who justifies me. It's almost a verbatim quotation. That's a Lutheran notion of justification. Our Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He who can, can, keeps my commandments abides in me, and, and I abide in him. The, the way to be justified is through the grace of God to keep the commandments. They are absolutes, especially the negative precepts. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's an absolute. He doesn't seem to think so. So the frightening development with this pontificate is he's gone beyond just attacking liturgical tradition, which is catastrophic enough, to attacking the precepts of the natural law, right and wrong. And the, and the natural law binds all men regardless of their religion. All men are bound by the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. All of the negative precepts of the, of the Decalogue are absolutes by their very nature because they are divine condemnations of intrinsic evils as to which there is no exception whatsoever. He's trying to create exceptions to intrinsic evils. Absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, if you look at Amoris Laetitia, he reduces the negative precepts, especially in the uh, sections of paragraph 300 to 305, thereabouts in the document. He reduces them to benchmarks or ideals, which people in their concrete circumstances may not be able to practice. Well, that's nonsense. Everyone is given the grace of God. Even the ordinary grace suffices to keep the negative precepts of the natural law. You don't need to be a Catholic to avoid adultery. That's so basic. St. Thomas teaches that although in, in many cases applications of the natural law can be obscure, the basic precepts are written on our hearts. We know right from wrong. He's attempting in various ways, especially with Amoris Laetitia, to obscure the very difference between right and wrong. And that is frightening. What can Catholics do? Uh, this is the strangest thing. It, it, I, I, I really feel for my brothers and sisters who are at traditional parishes— because you're leading up to one of the most sacred times of the year. Not It's not Easter, but the second most sacred time of Christmas, when all your liturgical celebrations were prepared for. You might not have that now. You, you, I, as I understand it, this restricts also the it, marriages in the traditional form and ordinations in the traditional form. What, what's going on and what can the faithful do? His intention is to extirpate the traditional uh, Latin liturgical tradition from the church and to kill off all the vocations that are attached to it. So, for example, he says, I have abrogated the Roman ritual, the pontifical ritual, the rituals that bishops perform. He can't abrogate that. Those are the immemorial rites of the church. He has no power to abrogate them. By abrogating those rituals which the bishops perform, he prevents the traditional ordination of bishops, of, of priests, rather, according to the traditional rite. But that's why they joined the fraternity, young men who entered the seminary, to be ordained in the traditional manner to offer the Latin Mass. He's attempting here to kill off vocations to the traditional seminaries. It's perfectly obvious what he's attempting to do. And so what do we do about it? Well, I tell you, I, I've been a member of the traditionalist opposition since I returned to the church after my pagan wanderings, as I noted in the remnant, uh, for more than 30 years at this point. What we do is we simply carry on with the traditions. We carry on with what has been handed down to us. We practice the faith of our fathers. 
And I've always said in things that I've written and in talks that I've given that you cannot find in the documents of Vatican II or in any of the teachings of the post-conciliar popes, including this one, strangely enough, any command to follow a doctrine or dogma that was not a doctrine or dogma of the church before the Second Vatican Council. There's nothing in the council documents, nothing in any of the pronouncements of the magisterium since then, that compels us to believe or to do anything that was not part of our faith before the council began. So we just go on practicing the faith as before. If he tells us we can't do it in a parish church, we find some other place. I remember a time when people had to go to Latin masses in hotel hotel lobbies and independent chapels owned by civil corporations. Some of those chapels, by the way, are still owned by civil corporations. And maybe it's a good thing that they are, given this development. So we carry on. He cannot order us to cease practicing the faith of our fathers. It's that simple. He has no power to do so. Let's say uh, for a bishop who wants to do the right thing, but not get his head lopped off, I guess might not even care, but is a bishop within his moral rights to basically ignore this and just carry on as normal? Uh, and, and also for a priest, what, what are their, if they're basically trying to be good Catholic priests, trying to follow, uh, you know, what they should, Christ's will, uh, and, and in obedience as they're supposed to? What's, what's the way forward for them? The church has always taught the primacy of conscience. A well-formed conscience has primacy over a command that causes one to violate one's conscience if the command is unjust and immoral. If it's a moral command, you have to follow it because then your conscience would not be well-formed. This is obviously an unjust and immoral command. You cannot publish the Latin Mass in a parish bulletin? That's preposterous. Uh, You cannot celebrate more than one Latin Mass uh, in a day in a parish where it's stretched in and a priest has to assist in souls, in the, in, the, in the divine worship of souls. He can't celebrate more than one Mass a day. These commands are, as lawyers would say, ultra-virus, beyond the authority of the Pope. He cannot abolish liturgical observances or liturgical rites or give commands that are ridiculous. I mean, I, to, to use an analogy, let's assume the Pope said, I want everyone in every parish where there's a marble altar to get sledgehammers and smash the altars to smithereens because I detest marble altars. Everyone could ignore that command. Well, what if the Pope says, I want you to destroy the traditional liturgy? We have to ignore that command. It's beyond his power. So if you're a priest in conscience, your conscience is telling you you cannot follow this command. You can't follow it. I'm not advising any priest what to do. You have to follow your own individual conscience. As to the bishops, they could find ways around this. If they can't allow the traditional mass in parishes, according to this unjust and immoral command, they could always establish places where the mass would be offered. Call it an oratory. Call it something that's equivalent to a parish. And let the the mass flourish in those locations. There are ways around this. And I'm hoping that a lot of bishops will just silently go on with the status quo and pretend they haven't heard this nonsense in the form of these pretend dubia. I saw one uh, priest on Twitter uh, advertising in his bulletin, not the Latin Mass on the 31st, but he said, between the 30th and the 1st, there will be a different type of Mass other than a Novus Ordo celebrated at 7 p.m. That's ironic because... This Pope who spent more than eight years ridiculing the doctors of the law who hold the law over people's heads and beat them with a stick 
there's no more rigorous legalistic pope than this one. Just look at these dubia with their ridiculous specifications. You can only say one Latin mass per day. Uh, you can't say the Latin mass on a weekday if you said the Novus Oro mass. You can't publish no- notification of a Latin mass in a parish bulletin. How's that for rigorism and legalism? This pope, I have to say, in, in all honesty, is everything he accuses others of being. Judgmental, rigoristic, intolerant, non-inclusive. But this is what a liberal is. Liberals constantly projecting onto others his own defects. And that's exactly what's happening with this pontificate. It's very interesting that you are the one speaking to me about this. You mentioned in the beginning uh, Anglicans, other members of other faiths being interested in this, what's going on right now, uh, showing support for traditional Latin Mass Catholics. Um, you've represented rabbis uh, in, in terms of their fight for freedom to worship. Um, what would you, in your opinion, what would you think that they would see uh, in what's going on with the Catholics right now? The traditional rabbis, that is. There's an interesting parallel development here in civil society and in the church. And that development is this. The unclean ones are to be banished from the life of the society, whether it's the ecclesial society or the civil society. In civil society, the unclean ones are the, are the unvaccinated. And now we see a determined effort to create a two-tiered society, a caste system in which the unvaccinated will be second-class citizens. And in the Catholic Church, we have the unclean ones, the traditionalists, who must be purged, confined, quarantined, as if they were the harbingers of a deadly virus. Now, with the Orthodox Jews that I've represented, well, we have a lot of commonality. I have this conversation with them, which is not privilege. This is just commentary on the state of affairs. We, we note the parallel between the Orthodox, who are ridiculed as extremists by their fellow Jews, and the traditionalists who are ridiculed as extremists by liberal Catholics, by modernist Catholics, and by this Pope who spent the past eight years mocking them, insulting them, condemning them ceaselessly, almost every day. The Pope who says we must not be judgmental. So the Orthodox Jews are are pretty much in the same position. They're countercultural in civil society, and they counter the religious current's among Judaism, because on social issues like abortion, uh, they're um, in, in line with our thinking. Uh, and on all moral issues, in fact, and these are Trump voters, believe it or not. So we have a lot in common with them. And I, it, it's my privilege to represent them in these religious liberties cases, because they were the victims of the church closures that, thank God, because of certain victories we won in, in various federal courts, are now a thing of the past. I don't think even with this Omicron hysteria, we're going to see church closures again. Uh, So what we need is a form of liberation in the church that corresponds to what happened in civil society. We have to stop the closures of traditional mass locations and the closures of traditional mass orders that this Pope obviously intends to impose if he can get away with it. And, And again, the solution to what he intends to do is simply to go on practicing the faith. Ignore it. Ignore it. What is he going to do? Excommunicate the fraternity of St. Peter if it says no? Is he going to excommunicate the Institute of Christ the King? Is he going to excommunicate the entire church attached to the traditional mass? You mentioned before we got on the air, Suarez's, or maybe someone else did, someone else I was talking to today, mentioned Suarez's hypothetical. This was a reductio ad absurdum in his writing, on, in his tract on charity. He said, suppose you had a pope 
who excommunicated the entire church. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Or who changed all the rights of the church. Such a pope, said Suarez, would be a schismatic pope. And what do you do with this reductio ad absurdum pope? Well, you resist him. You stop him. You block him at every turn. You can't go along with such a pope. Now, that reductio ad absurdum is unfortunately, tragically, almost apocalyptically, the reality we're facing today. We have a pope who says the Ten Commandments are not absolute. We have a pope who says it's okay to cohabit. We have a pope who is chummy with homosexual couples, who thinks gay marriage in the form of civil union is okay, as long as you don't call it marriage, and who now thinks that he can abolish the immemorial received and approved right of mass in the Roman Catholic Church because he's annoyed. If you read Traditionis Custodis, he basically cites his rationale as, I'm incensed by some of the things some traditionalists are saying which cause division. Well, there should be division. Division from the catastrophe over which he presides and a retreat from it into places where there is an oasis of tradition. He hates that. He wants to destroy it. We can't allow that to happen. I think the numbers are showing. We have seen in the last number of years a tremendous growth in traditional Latin mass parishes, particularly where uh, they're available and sometimes where they're not. There was none uh, in, you know, in some places where they cropped up actually during this time of coronavirus because people had no access to their regular masses. So it's been growing by leaps and bounds. Obviously, uh, the Lord's hand is upon uh, those doing that, and uh, there will be uh, no success in trying to crush what God wants. Yes, exactly so. He, he's infuriated by that. What, what infuriates him most is that the young people are attracted to this liturgy. I mean, I'm an old codger in the movement. I'm on my way out. They are the future. I remember an article in The Economist, it must have been eight, nine years ago, before Francis was even Pope. The title of the article in The Economist was, It's Trendy to Be a Traditionalist. Horror of horrors, the young people are, are, the, are the head of this movement. If you look at the pilgrimage, the Chartres pilgrimage every year, the average age is, what, low 20s, maybe even younger. I can't even walk the pilgrimage anymore. It's, it's too, too daunting at my age. Last time we did it, Foley was, I think I was 62. But it's a young people's movement. And this, he cannot understand this. And what was his explanation for it? If you read one of his interviews, he says, well, there's something wrong with these young people. Dig, dig, he said. You'll find some mental defect in these young people. This is how a revolutionary looks at the opposition as people who should be characterized as insane and confined and removed from society. He actually thinks this. But you're right. It can't be stopped. His contention is not with traditionalists. It's with the Holy Ghost. Let me close with this. These are words from the scriptures uh, quoted in... Um in Father Mark Goring's uh, little piece, uh, little video on this, which I encourage you to watch, um, he talked about the warning of Gamaliel. Uh, when in the scriptures, uh, Gamaliel uh, warns the Sanhedrin or the leaders at the time, uh, those going after the followers of Christ, that, well, no, just let it play out. Otherwise, if you go and try and crush this, you're going to find yourself unsuccessful because you're fighting against God. And I think that's what we have here. I think that's exactly right. And, and I think this is a war that he's going to lose. And it is a war. He's waging war on his own flock. And he has been doing it for eight years with his, his endless insults and condemnations. And now these provisions 
designed to exterminate traditional mass, it can't succeed. Christopher Farrar, thank you for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you for having me on. Take care and God bless. God bless you too. And let me say to uh, all of you out there, if I don't see you again, have a happy and holy Christmas. And especially to my friends who are attending the traditional Latin Mass, we're praying with you. We're begging your prayers for us uh, at your traditional Latin Masses, which will keep going. And uh, God bless you all. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.